Please be seated. If you're just joining us, we're in a series uh, on the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. If you want to be heading towards Genesis, you'll find that at the beginning of your Bible. If you need a Bible, you'll find one in, uh, underneath a seat in front of you or near you. Uh, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 today. You'll find that on page 2. In your pew Bible, you'll find that there are 1,042 pages in that Bible, and so we are making real headway, so just hang on. We're getting there. While you're turning there, let me just reiterate a couple announcements. One is, uh, as Roy mentioned, that the, the missions team is going to have a chance to share a little bit more. He mentioned the 30th, that, that's August, August 30th, the last Sunday of next month, so they'll be doing that. The other thing I want to reiterate, an announcement made by Camper, uh, our weekly marriage class is meeting on Wednesday for the next several weeks. We really need people who are not in that class to come help, help take care of the kids. Uh, a lot of, a, a very few people shoulder the burden uh, most of the year for most of what we do with child care. So we, we really need help, and that, that means you. So if you would like to do that, see me, see Marty, see Kathy, or if you still have one of your In Touch With Grace forms, fill that out and hand it to one of us. Okay, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Let me pray for us and we'll, we'll dive right in. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we come to your word. We thank you that you invite us in your presence not only to come and to, uh, to sing, to sing praises, not only to come and confess our sin and hear of your great and ongoing forgiveness of us, but you all, we also come that we might hear your word given to us through the Bible, and through the preaching of your word. So right now, would you speak to us? Open up these words from Genesis, for they are life and they are of you and from you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord, and it's given to us for our good and for his glory. So, so to it we turn now. As we mentioned, we've been going through a series on the book, the first number of, of chapters from the book of Genesis, and we've been looking at creation over the last few weeks. All of chapter 1 taken up with these first six days of creation as God creates, as He makes, as He fashions everything that is. It's been a busy week. And God, the artist creator, creating all that, he is, all that is, then standing back and resting. That's what we see here in these first few verses of chapter 2. The God on the seventh day puts this aside as a day like none other. It is the culmination of all this creation week when he finally steps, steps back, the artist steps back from the canvas and he says, it's done and it's good and I'm going to look at it and I'm going to appreciate it. So we're going to see this about uh, this day that he sets aside here in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to see three things. It's a day of rest, and it's a day of blessing, and it's a day that is set apart. Okay, those three things. Day of blessing, a day of rest, day of blessing, and a day that's set apart. First, it is a day of rest. That's what God is doing here. I mean, look in these first few verses. I mean, how many times it talks about work and rest. You know, God, God finished them in verse, verse 1. It says in verse 2, on the seventh day, he finished his, the work that he had done. He rested from all the work that he had done. 
So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work that he had done in creation. Okay, how many times in three short verses can we say he was really working and now he's really resting? He's resting. It is set aside as a day of rest. As we're going to see uh, the next time in Scripture that this is really pointed out in a powerful way to us is in the Ten Commandments that come to us in Exodus chapter 20. And there, in the fourth commandment, God speaks about the Sabbath day, a day of rest. Sabbath, it's a noun. It comes from a Hebrew word that means to cease, to stop, to put it down, and to rest. Now, we don't see that noun in these few verses, okay? It doesn't specifically say, and this was a Sabbath day, but what we do say, see here is the verb that comes from the same word. When you see to rest, it's that same verb for to Sabbath, to rest, to cease. That's what's going on in the first day. Everything stops. All the work of creation, it's over and finished. God rests from his work. If you're with us last week, we talked about the goodness of work as it is created. We talked about that from Genesis 1 and from part of Genesis 2 right after this, that God created work as something good for mankind to do. That in it, we as men and women who image God, who reflect Him, who reflect His nature, who are in relationship with Him, we work. Work was not a product of the fall. It was not a product of everything that went wrong. Work was a part of the goodness of creation. So we talked last week about how good work is, but here we see that rest is good also. And it's also a gift to us from God. In the Old Testament, we see that uh, this day of, of, of weekly rest, it's unclear, even at the beginning, at the give, the, when the Ten Commandments are given, it's unclear for the Israelites at that point, it was certainly a day of rest. It's unclear whether or not that was a day each week in which they specifically gathered for worship as the Ten Commandments were given. What we do see, though, is late in the New Testament, when, when God's people are taken uh, into exile in Babylon, when they are taken away from the temple, when they are taken away from that place that's the heart of Israelite worship, that is when the synagogue developed. And when this practice of weekly worship and reading from the Scriptures first began to flourish. And so when the opening pages of the New Testament, when Jesus steps onto the scene, that was very much a part of the experience of all of God's faithful people that weekly they worshipped in the synagogue. The Sabbath became a day of worship, but it begins as, and it's founded as, a day of rest. And just as Jesus and his disciples practiced that, the first Christians in the early church did it as well. They worshipped on this day that God had given his rest. Okay, but what we see here first, and it's important that we get this, when we read about rest right here in the first three, chapter, first three verses of chapter 2, this is God's rest. Who's been working up until now? God has. God works and then he rests. You know, we talk about we talk about having a busy week at work, and we've all had those, right? And you think about all the things that you've got to accomplish. I mean, I remember uh, when Elizabeth and I were in college, we went to a school where people took this very this really perverse pride in how much work we had to do. It's like what we talked about all the time. And there's this constant game of one-upmanship of, well, you think that's a lot. Let me tell you about what I've got to do. The one year when I was in college, the U.S. News and World Report, they put out their reports on colleges every year, and we were ranked num- for the number two workload in America behind Stanford. How sad is it that I remember that? But it was part of our identity that we work, and William and Mary students are exactly the same way. You talk about the looming deadline, how much work you've got to do, and you know what that's like in your own work. Um, God's work week was a work like none other. 
all of creation in six days, everything made out of nothing, and then God rests. But it brings up a question, like, does God need to rest? You know, I mean, he, six days, okay, granted, it was a busy week, but even God has to stop and take a breather. He's a little whooped. He's a little overextended himself. It's time to sit back and refresh himself. Is that what's going on? Well, anybody else in the ancient Near East would have, would have thought that. In other creation accounts in the ancient Near East, the gods create out of the midst of chaos and battle. Uh, the Babylonian uh, take on creation in their literature begins with uh, this great battle that occurs between the Babylonian god Marduk and his uh, arch enemy and opponent, the goddess Tiamat. And they go to war with each other until Marduk finally prevails. He slays Tiamat and he uses her corpse. He divides it to create uh, the sky and the earth. A day of incredible battle and toil. But what do we read when we read the Bible? What happens when we read God's account of what happened in the creation? It opens up in chapter 1 with the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the deep. What happens next? He speaks. Let there be light. There was light. Let the waters be separated from the waters, and there was sky, and there was earth. Let the dry land appear. Let the animals appear. There's no striving. There's no effort. There's no battle. There's no sense that creation does anything other than immediately obey in the hands of its creator. God was not tired at the end of the week. But what is going on? Edmund Clowney, biblical theologian, says this, God did not rest to recover from his exhaustion, nor is his rest defined simply as an absence of work. His rest carries with it the sense of a positive, active appreciation and satisfaction in his finished creative work. In his rest, God is reveling in the goodness of his creation and especially in the goodness of fellowship with those he created in his own image. He rests because he's done, because he steps back and he enjoys. Very end of chapter 1, at the end of day 6, God says, God looks around and he says, it was very good. And he steps back to enjoy it, not because he is tired, but because he is triumphant and successful and artist beyond any other. And he enjoys the goodness of his creation. So Genesis, these first few chapters speak of God's rest. And it would be enough for us to be able to see the beauty of that, but it doesn't stop there. God brings his rest to us. God's rest becomes our rest. God invites us to rest in him. We see that implied here as uh, these days are mapped out as a map of this rhythm of six days of work and one day of rest. As we're told here in Genesis 2, that God rested and it's this open-ended invitation for us that gets made more explicit when we do come to the Ten Commandments. This is the fourth commandment. Listen to this from Exodus chapter 20. When Moses explains, when God through Moses explains why we are to rest. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. God speaks this to his people coming 
out of Egypt, out of 400 years of being under a foreign oppressor, their gods, their way of life, their culture. And God brings them out and he says, the gods of Egypt did not create. Yahweh, your God, created. And it did not wear them out. He was powerful enough to do all and merely the speaking of his word. And he rests and he invites you into his rest as well. He says, rest for you is going to be a gift. You are going to have a rhythm of life that mirrors creation, six days of work and a day of rest. It brings up the question, why is it so hard for us to rest? Okay, I know there are some of you in this room right now that are thinking thoughts like this. Okay, he's going to tell me I can't go home today and mow my grass. And I've been waiting all week to mow my grass. He's going to tell me I can't go home today and finish studying for my summer school class that I've got to step back into tomorrow. Like, I know he is. I'm going to tune him out. Like, rest, it makes us nervous, right? What, how bad would it be if I were to say, the Bible tells us we're supposed to rest. It's like we're having our arms twisted. Every day, my children, part of the pattern of life in our household is they have rest time in the afternoon. And if you're John Mack, it's a glorious three-hour nap. And if you're our older kids, then it's an hour where you are in your room. You can take a nap. You can look at books. You can play with your toys. But you're by yourself, and it is rest time. One day, our kids will grow up and realize it was really rest time for parents. But right now, <laughs> they think it's rest time for you, and don't spoil the surprise. But we tell them to rest, and though this is a part of their life, there's still those days when they balk at it. Like, what do you mean you want me to go to rest time? And I think if I had somebody step into my life and say, look, every day from 2 to 3 o'clock, you have to take a nap or just put your feet up, I can't imagine arguing It'd be like college all over again. So why, though? Why do we have this knee-jerk reaction, so many of us, uh, to rest? Well, I think there's several reasons. One is for us that our work is rarely done. You notice our work is rarely finished. And maybe you can think of moments where, where you've enjoyed the sweetness of, of work really, uh, really completed. I, I can remember w- w- one of my favorite experiences in life were in my years in college. At the end of a semester, especially at the end of first semester, when all the papers were in, and all the exams were taken, and I got in my car and got on the highway for the long drive back home, and I thought, I'm done. I mean, there's nothing I could do even if I wanted to do more. Like, I don't even know what the syllabus is for next semester's classes. I can't even read ahead. I'm totally off the hook. I'm done. And just that feeling of completion. Or maybe for you and your work, the project that finally gets finished. Or um, a semester in school when it's finally done. You know, those, there are those moments when, when something is finished. But for most of us, most of the time, our work is rarely ever done. It just flows from one thing to the next. And so much of our work never knows any real ultimate completion, especially in the work from, which is involved for many of us in relationships. Those are never tied up in neat bundles. If I find that there, I long for those things that involve task completion. And occasionally, I love really mindless things that uh, help me feel like occasionally something in my life gets finished. It's like that whenever you get a congregational letter, Kathy brings to me the letter after, after I've written it, and there's a stack of them, and I have to sign them all. I love it. Like, all I have to do is put my name down. At the end of it, I'm done with the stack. And I'm like, it's done. It's done. But for most of us, that's not our work, right? Work isn't finished. Think about you, the work in uh, your place of work that can span weeks and weeks, the work of a semester that never slows down till the end, the labor, unceasing labor of caring for a house and a home 
The unceasing attention and care needed by small children, the demands of daily life, it rarely feels like we're done. So it makes it hard for us to rest. Another reason that it's often hard for us to rest is because for many of us, work comes to define us. And we talked about this a lot last week in the context of work. But for many of us, you know, our work is where we get the most affirmation, the most pats on the back, where we feel most significant, and it sucks us in. It's what we spend most of our time doing and how easy is it for us to think, not only is this my work, not only was it created good, but it is now somehow me. I'm defined by it. And if I'm successful, everything is great. And if something falls short at work, everything is devastated. But the one thing we can't do is step away from it because work is our life. And we come home and we're just restless because when we left work, we left our life behind us. Work is often what comes to define us third thing, maybe why is rest so hard for us? Rest exposes the restlessness of our souls. Try this. Try being quiet sometimes. Have you noticed how how busy you are avoiding being quiet? I mean, to prove it, sometime this week, turn off the radio in your car when it's just quiet. My old car, when the car radio died, it was just unsettling. I can't, where's, where's the noise? I might have to think. I might have to be reflect, reflective. What about unplugging the iPod? What about hitting that little button at night and turning off the TV? Or maybe for some of us at night, it means actually closing the book, which is our own version of TV and diversion, our work, our noise, our hobbies, our entertainment so often serve to keep us at a level of act- activity and distraction that unless we, un- unless we deliberately unplug at times, we will never deal with what is really going on in our souls. We will never listen to God. We will never ask the hard questions about what we are doing with our lives, how we are relating to others, and how we are connecting with our God. Those questions do not come up because we can't hear them. And most of the time, we like it that way. It is hard to rest. Yet this is to be for us a day of rest. But he doesn't simply say, here it is a day of rest. He tells us two other things. It is a day of blessing, and it is a day set apart. First, a day of blessing. God blesses this day in this act of creation. God at the very beginning makes this day of rest and he invites us into it. Now, if there is any chance of us participating in that day of rest that God makes for us, then I think it presupposes if we're going to rest as God calls us to rest, that we're first going to have to work as God calls us to work. What does that mean? A lot of things, but one thing it definitely means is this, that as God gives us the gift of work, we see that all of our work is ultimately centered in Him. All of our work is ultimately for Him. All of our work is ultimately an expression of us living in relationship with Him and taking care of His good world. And that's everything. That's not just what I do. Some of us do in professional Christian ministry. That's what we do when we garden Adam was a gardener. That's what we do uh, when you're an insurance agent and you help take care of people in uh, the craziness of what so often goes wrong in our world. That's what happens when you're a police officer, when you're a doctor. That's what happens when you're selling things at the store. When you are, we're keeping society going, we're helping people flourish. All of our work, legitimate work, is done in relationship to God. 
and is a part of his ordering and care for all of creation. So that means that we have to be workers who see first, not I have a boss standing over me and I have to meet his expectations and I have to meet his quotas. We have, we have a boss above that who comes by a better name, our father, who is the one for whom we do all our work. And if that is our beginning point, our work is done out of response to God and in response to his giving us the gift of work, then we can begin to see if he is the one who gives us work, then he has the right and the authority to be the one to give us the gift of rest too. If we know that we work unto him, then we're going to be in a place where we're ready to receive a gift of rest from him. In some ways, regardless of what the world is going to say around us, and we're going to come to that in a minute, we were blessed in creation. Interesting thing about day seven, if you notice this, day, days one through six in Genesis one have this repeated refrain at the end of all the creating on a given day, it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Evening and morning, the second day, the third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. But here, no refrain. It's just the seventh day. The book is opened up and it's not closed. I don't know what that means. But it does say something, and and here's at least an idea. There is something about God's rest that does not end, that continues now, Scripture is clear that God in His works of providence and caring for creation and caring for us, God is very active. Jesus even says on a day when He heals someone on the Sabbath and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, uh, accuse Him of, of being unfaithful and breaking the Sabbath. He says, look, our Father is working today and I am working today. God is always doing good, but there is something about this at the picture of creation that He says, God begins a rest that does not end. And so this rest that He invites us into this rest of completion and relationship in Him, this rest from our work even, somehow there is a fulfillment in God that never ends. We have a God who is at rest. So we are, we are blessed in creation. God, God says this, verse 3, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. When God blesses something, He puts His stamp of approval, but not only His stamp of approval, His stamp of, of, of empowerment. We've seen blessing twice in chapter 1. One, when he creates the birds and the fish, and he says, go multiply, and God blesses them. And then mankind, it says, you are to rule over all the earth. And it says, God blesses them. God gives them what it takes to fulfill their created purpose. So he blesses people. He blesses us. But here he blesses a day. He says, there's something unique about this. It is for your blessing. I'm inviting you into a life of blessing in me. You're invited into my day of rest is what God says to us. But it takes on another character in Scripture too. Not only this day of rest as, it is, as it is created. It becomes a day of rest that points us not only to creation but to salvation. It points us to God's work, not only of ordering and making the world, but of redeeming it, of restoring it, of making it whole once again. We saw in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments, when they are given, that God says, okay, you're going you're to celebrate the Sabbath, you're going to rest, and you're going to do that because I rested, because God rested in creation. God says that to these first generation of people coming out of, out of Egypt after 400 years in slavery. But they disobey God. And he sends them out into the desert for 40 years of wandering so that everybody of that previous generation who is 20 years and older dies in the desert and a whole new generation comes up 
40 years later, there they are again on the verge of now finally entering the promised land, this new generation of God's people. And in Deuteronomy 5, the Ten Commandments are given to them again, to this next generation. Now, here that, here's why that's important. When it gets to the Fourth Commandment, talks about resting, he gives a different reason. And the first time it was given, he talks about because God rested in creation. Listen to what he says, though, in Deuteronomy 5. Same command to rest, but here's what he says then. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. He reminds him not of creation, but of redemption, of salvation. That first generation needed to be reminded that they were the God's people who after a 400-year gap were stepping back into active relationship with Him. And He had to tell them who He was in creation. But to this generation that was not born in slavery, they were born in a desert. He says to them, I want you to know who you are. I saved you and your people out of slavery. You need to remember that you were under the oppressive thumb of a king who would have destroyed you. But I set you free. And the Sabbath, this weekly reminder of my goodness to you and, and salvation. The Exodus was the picture in the Old Testament of salvation, of God working redemption for His people. It was the picture of God coming and rescuing His people. And in the New Testament, we see the fullness of that. Not God calling His people out of Egypt, but God calling a people, Jew, Jews and Gentiles alike, out of sin and death into redemption through their life death, and resurrection of Jesus for them. We've got the scene in Matthew 12 where Jesus is walking through the grain fields with his disciples. And it's the Sabbath, a day when you're not supposed to work, a day when you're not supposed to harvest grain. And some of his disciples pick the heads off some of the grain and they rub it in their hands and they eat it. Some of the Pharisees, these religious leaders, they see them doing that and they condemn them for breaking the Sabbath. They say, you are working and you should not be working. What was Jesus' reply? He didn't banter around with them. He didn't say, well, it's not really working because they didn't use a mill. They just sort of used their hand. He doesn't get drawn into that. What does he say? He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the King, the God of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is my gift. It is my gift for my people. And I'm the one who says what is right and what is wrong on the Sabbath. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the one who gives it, both in creation and in redemption. The Sabbath is a reminder of me coming of my salvation that comes to my people. Right before that, in a very famous passage, in Matthew 11, Jesus speaks about what it means to be in relationship with Him. He says, that, he says this to all of us who are caught in our labor. He says, Come to me all who, are la- who labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. How can He come and give us relief from our work? Because He has done our most important work for us. He has done the work we could not do for ourselves. We are a people caught in our sin and our estrangement from God. He steps in and does the work for us, lives a perfect life, dies a sinless death, is restitution for us, the means by which God forgives us, brings us back, heals us. And He says, so in me you will have rest. And this day points to that, a day of blessing. 
But then the final thing we see here is that it is a day, not only of rest and of blessing, it is a day that is set apart. Again, verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God makes it holy. What does that mean? Holiness does have this idea, and you'll see these two ideas intertwined in Scripture. On the one hand, there's this idea of ethical purity. When God makes something holy and sets it apart, it is, it is pure. But it is also holiness, the root of it has to do with, with, with the, the very act of being set apart, separated from what is normal and regular and common. When God says something is holy, he pulls it apart from everything else and says, this is uniquely special to me. And so he says, this day, this aspect of time is holy. It's set apart. In creation, in these first couple chapters of Genesis, that is the seventh day. And that was the day in which God's people in Israel celebrated the Sabbath. It was, it was the last day, as Jews still do on Saturday. What happens in the New Testament? What was an Old Testament day of celebration on the last day of the week becomes a New Testament celebration on the first day of the week. The day when Jesus rose from the dead. The day that, is, that we know not only as Sabbath, but as the Lord's day. It is His day. There is this switch from the Old Testament to the New Testament of God's special set-apart day now being the day where weekly we remember Christ risen from the dead. And in this very real sense, every Sunday is Easter. That's what we celebrate every Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus for us. A day set apart now. What does that mean for us? Like practically, what does that mean for us? Okay, let me say this. That faithful Bible-believing Christians disagree, sometimes strongly, on what it means for us as Christians living in the New Covenant, New Testament times, since Jesus' death and coming death and resurrection, disagree on what it means for us to appropriately celebrate this day. Okay, so let me begin with this. We must be charitable with each other when we have different convictions about what that means. I would love to make this simple and say it is very clear in Scripture what the New Testament says about this. I don't think it is. And I think we have to wrestle with it. But let me tell you what I do think Scripture holds up for us in the New Testament. Christ has come, the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the fulfillment that we are to find of rest in our God. But the truth is we don't yet know the full flowering of our salvation even, right? Jesus is coming back. We are even now forgiven in his people, but we are not yet home because home is coming to us. Jesus is returning. And so we are a people still, we talk about, about the Sabbath being a day of salvation. We still look ahead to the fullness of our salvation. And we as created beings are still people in need of physical rest. And I think the idea of this day of rest continues from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That it's a day that is to be different than other days. To be holy, to be set apart, to be different. And I think it means what it simply says, that it's a day of rest. And that means that we are not to work. We're not to work. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. It is a day to refresh. It has become for us a day to worship, to reconnect with our God. And throughout church history, it's also been a day to serve those in need, to make God's redemption uh, visible in acts of mercy as well. Today, set, that God sets apart for us, and it means we need to be people who rest. So that means two things for us, if we're going to do that. We need to observe it, and we need to prepare for it. Rest, no work. And also, I think it means this, no recreation for us 
that feels like work. Okay? Recreation is a beautiful thing. We need to rest, and we need to rest on Sundays. But honestly, think about this. How much of your, your recreation leaves you more tired than when you began? I can't give you a list of what that is, but I think you need to think about it when you think about what does it mean to celebrate this day and rest? Are the things that I'm doing, it's supposed to be a day to rest, are the things that I do to rest actually making me more tired? Are they actually separating me from what this day is meant to be, a day of reflection, renewal, rejuvenation, and connection with our God? Now, there is lots of play for you and for me that might actually move us towards those goals, good and beautiful things. I hope our picnic today is an example of that as we come and we swim and we play and we eat a meal together, as we rest together and rightly recreate. But I think it does mean if your recreation wears you out, you need to find other days for that. It means if you have children, then you need to help your children learn. This is a different day. It's a day for us to rest even as kids, or are we helping them fill out their schedule so that they're so overwhelmed by busyness every day of the week that they turn into adults like us? Do we really want that for them? We are to observe it. Now, now, again, God's people have always seen provisions for certain work that needs to be done, that must be done on a Sabbath, on a Sunday. The work, I mean, for instance, we, we don't want to shut down our hospitals on Sunday. We don't want the police to stop uh, caring for us and watching over us. There's a lot of work that must be done on Sundays, and there's a lot of work that we are to do in helping our neighbors and care for those around us in acts of mercy. And honestly, some of us are at a place in life where the occupation God has given us and the way He has gifted us with work in a world where we very much need work necessitates us working on a Sunday. So for some of us, that is part and parcel of what it means to really care for our families right now. It is what God has provided, and that is okay. However, let me also say, let me just encourage you. If you have opportunity to find work or to change your schedule so that you don't work on a Sunday, you should take advantage of that. Because when you have work, especially work that keeps you from being with God's people on a Sunday, it keeps you from the central activity of the Christian life of us in corporate worship as we together bring our worship to God, as we are refreshed, as we hear God's word preached, as we are reminded of his forgiveness and love. What we do is incredibly important. It is for God's people. And so we need to make space in our lives to the degree that we're able to to do that. Now, we're going to be people who do that. Let's just say we're going to do, let's say we're going to rest. It means we're going to have to be a people who prepare to rest. Think about what happens when you go on vacation. Nobody just wakes up and says, I think I'm going to go on a two-week vacation today. Let's go jump on the car, kids, and off we go, right? I would do that. Thankfully, I'm married to a wife who realizes it doesn't work that way. So about four days before we're going anywhere, what do you start to do? You start to pack. You start to get ready. You start to wrap up the loose ends at your work. You know, if you're going to take time off for a vacation, you know you have to prepare for that. And for us in our busy lives, it means if we are going to really make Sunday a day of rest, and you have to prepare for that. Elizabeth and I are continually going through rounds of how do we do this better so that we can take a break and not be frazzled all the time. Here's a couple things. Maybe it means you go to the grocery on Saturday, right? You go on Saturday. And maybe it means even uh, that you make a casserole for Sunday night because it's 
work for you to have to make a meal and you want a break and that's just fine. Make it ahead of time. Maybe it means that by doing that you make enough food ahead of time that you have the freedom to invite somebody over to church for lunch after Sunday because you know the work, the food is done. It means you clean your house at other times of the week. It means if you're a student that you do your work on Saturdays and take a break on Sunday. Now, I know some of us are wrestling with this now just feels oppressive to me. Okay, let's go back to remember what God is telling us. Rest. Take a break. I'm giving you something good. He brings it to us not as a law to crush us, but that we might have life. And it's going to expose for us maybe the many ways we are, we're chasing after diversions all week long that actually wear us out more and are what actually forces us into the position where we feel like we have to work on a Sunday. Because we frittered away, away a lot of time doing other things throughout the week. And I think we need to give God the benefit of the doubt that he created us and he knows what we need in terms of rest. To stop. To really put it aside. And he invites us in. Now let me just conclude with this. You're going to have to wrestle with what it means to apply this. Just as I do and my family does. But I remember a number of years ago <clears throat> when I was working with uh, college students at William & Mary and uh, gave a sermon about this, about rest. And I had a couple students come to me later in that week <clears throat> who were really wrestling with what was said because it seemed so far against the culture of William and Mary they could not imagine how they could possibly put it in place, but they realized that they needed to. So they decided they were simply not going to work. They weren't going to do any study on Sunday. They were not going to work on Sunday. And what that meant for them, they said after a few weeks of this, is they said, well... We had to get a little more diligent at other times in the week. But they said, now, I wake up on a Sunday morning and I'm not exhausted. And now I can get up and I have the freedom to go to church, be with my friends, and come and worship without having this nagging feeling in the back of my mind of, I've got to get back to campus so that I can get to work. And if they're tired in the morning on Sunday morning, they say, I know in the afternoon, if I want to, I can take a nap. I can rest. I can take a break. And it was beginning to open up for them a, an enjoyment of life, even in the middle of the stress of their work as students, that, that they had never known before. And that just makes sense, doesn't it? That God gives us good gifts. He gives us a good gift of work, and he gives us a good work of rest, that we might be refreshed. It comes to us from the loving hand of our Father. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I am one of the chief of sinners in this area. It is so hard to rest. Pray for all of us that you would help us to put aside the things in our life that preclude this. Pray that you would help us to put aside our addiction to work that drives us from it. Help us put aside our godlike delusions that the world revolves only because we are hard at work. Help us to know that you are our provision. That as we cease on one day, we remember everything that comes to us is a gift from you. All of it all other six days as well. Let us remember again that you are God, that you are in control, that you take care of your children, that you call us into relationship with you. May we have the space of mind and body and spirit to do the real work of our souls too, that we might hear you give us rest even today. We lifted this up to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.